Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Kairos. It is time to build up. I am here today with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Brian, welcome to Kairos. Thank you, Joshua. Glad to, glad to be here. I think it's afternoon for you, morning for me here in Adelaide. Where are you coming from today? Austin, Texas. Round Rock officially. I serve two congregations in Austin, and Round Rock is the community just north of Austin, so we live up here. Well, it's uh, great to talk to you today. There's a number of us here in Australia that have um, listened to you online and watched you over a, a number of years in different capacities. And, um, and so for that reason, one of the things I thought we might talk to Pastor Wolfmuller about today is um, his Christian journey, a bit more of a, a spiritual autobiography, if you like. Um, I've heard him allude to various parts of his, his journey along the way, and I myself wouldn't mind filling in a few of the gaps and just hearing um, how he's become the person he is today. But before we get into that, Pastor Wolfmuller, how are you going in this year um, that is the crazy 2020? Fine. F uh, I'm fine, fine. I, I, um, I had COVID this summer, which was something really wild, and um, and it kind of, it hit me in two rounds. So I had fever for a week and then I had sort of a, um, a mental neurological um, illness for about, it probably lasted for about three weeks where I was really out, just out of sorts. I, I was, it's like I had a stroke, I suppose. And, and um, so I'm coming back out of that. And, and now I'm trying to figure out, it just, I feel very tired, uh, so much quicker than I ever did before. I never used to get tired, which was nice. I realize now how nice that was. Uh, but um, I realize how much faster I'm getting. And I can't figure out, this is part of the problem, if it's, if it's still some kind of lingering stuff from being sick hmm. or if, it's, uh, if the whole world is just tired because it's like there's a layer of extra effort and confusion on top of every single little thing. It's really an exhausting time to be navigating the world. But but the Lord is good, and it's been really helpful. I mean, I, I think that the spiritual blessings that, and, the, and the spiritual lessons that the Lord is teaching us in COVID, I, I, you know, I don't think we could have learned them any other way. Mm -hmm. So this is a real blessing to us. Uh, if, if we have eyes to see it, then I think this, is, this time in the world is going to be a time of great blessing for the church and for the Christian family. Well, we're very um, thankful that you are okay. And uh, I did um, watch or listen to some of your recounting of your um, episode with, with COVID. And I really do recommend people go and listen to it. It's quite, quite something just to hear. It's one thing to read all the statistics and to see the trends. It's another thing to hear these personal accounts um, and to have someone reflect on it theologically and spiritually was quite helpful. So thank you for that as well. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. I suppose you're, you know, you're not supposed to come out of that without... You're supposed to learn something, you know, you're supposed to be wiser on the other side. And at first I didn't appreciate that pressure, you know, I can't, I just get sick without having to learn something from it, but the Lord will teach us in spite of ourselves, I suppose. And, Indeed. Uh, and he did. I mean, he, uh, he put me through school. So there you go. I made some video back when COVID just struck about COVID and, uh, and someone says, well, now you're going to have to get it because <laughs> you have to say, you know, if you, if you go and say, you know, the, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Well, then you're, in some ways, the Lord's, you know, going to take away. And sure, sure enough. We sometimes you know. say, you know, be careful what you pray for. I guess be careful what you make YouTube videos about as well. <laughs> That's right. But I, you know, someone asked me yesterday, or a couple of days ago anyways, um, if I would do it again. I mean, if, you know, mm. looking back over it, all the struggle mm. and everything. And the answer is, yeah. I, I mean, I, it was... um you know, really, the Lord, the Lord does, he, he's, he, uh, he, he blesses us with the bad stuff, too, you know, the devil is always the Lord's devil, mm. and, uh, and sometimes the Lord wants to be blessed in giving, and sometimes he wants to be blessed in taking away, but, uh, so we, to, to be able to do those things, we got to have that, the opportunity of, of, of suffering, I suppose. And that's what makes us theologians. I mean, it's an amazing, right, that Luther says the three things that make a theologian are prayer, meditation, and suffering or affliction, which is insane. That's just insane. <laughs> but I, it's right. You, you know, you only um, really come to terms with that through experience, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, we could talk for a long time about that. And as I said, I really do encourage people to watch um, Pastor Wolf Miller's videos, listen to the podcasts and his experiences with COVID. But um, 
wanted to talk today to Pastor Wolfmuller about his own Christian journey. And so perhaps we can begin um, as close to the beginning as we can. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your childhood, Pastor Wolfmuller, where you grew mm -hmm. up, that sort of thing? And particularly interested in the religious flavor, if you like, of your, your childhood, um, if, if any. Mm -hmm. I, um, sure, I was the, I'm the oldest of three boys. I was born in 1977 in Kerrville, Texas, which is about three hours from here. And it's on the other side of the hill country, a small little town. Um, my, uh, I was baptized, I was born in August. I was baptized the Sunday after Thanksgiving as a baby in the, uh, then the ALC. I always confuse ALC and LCA. Uh, the American Lutheran Church, Lutheran Church of America. I always, I know I get them reversed and then I try to unreverse them and end up reversing them. You know how you do that thing? But I think it was uh, LCA. It was the more conservative the, of the two. Uh, our little church here in uh, Zion Lutheran Church in Kerrville, Texas. So I grew up, that church became, was, you know, was on the way into the ELCA. So I grew up with the, with the, with the pre-green hymnal, the green hymnal in the ELCA. Uh, grew up going to Sunday school. When I was 12, my family moved for my dad's work to Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was curious, the church there, Grace Lutheran, no, not the, uh, Faith Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I did my eighth grade confirmation, uh, and I was not paying attention at all. Uh, I, I was telling someone the other day that when it was time to go forward to get confirmed, I, I was asking the people around, what are we supposed to say? <laughs> and the answer is, I will with the help of God. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. I will with the help. That was all we we're supposed to say. That's all we had to memorize was I will with the help. That was my catechism memory work. Mm -hmm. We didn't learn the small catechism. In okay. fact, that church was a, at that point, that church was the largest ELCA church in the Southwest. And it was a curious place because the pastor was highly influenced by Robert Schuler of the Crystal Palace. And so he didn't like to have any sort of Christian specifics. I, I, I learned later that um, there's a guy on staff was trying to get the doctrine of the Trinity into the statement of faith of the church and was getting kickback on that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they denied the Trinity, but they just didn't want to talk about it, you know, in the, mm -hmm. this big, beautiful building. And um, so I was, going to I was going to church there, especially because they had a connection to this church camp Rainbow Trails, ironically enough, named. Uh, but the the director and the camp folks were related to my family. That we were we went back to Germany. That was a kind of family tree. So, so my my mom and dad were particularly interested in that church and that connection to that camp and things like this. So mm. I, I grew up doing a lot of outdoor education, which I always really loved and still really appreciate with church. Sure. Um, but uh, so so kind of a couple of things happened early on in high school. I, I became very eighth grade and ninth grade. Hmm. How do what's stress with it? I, I, even though I was disinterested in church, I did have, and even as I reflect back on it now, sort of, I was wrestling with things theologically. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was so angry that we moved from Texas to New Mexico. I was just really angry about that. And I blamed God for that. And, um, and I, I, I thought I had it figured out. I thought that I had made a bunch of friends, like for the first time, that whole kind of the friendship sort of awoken in, in, in my own life, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, when you start to make friends. And so I'd had all these friends I, and it was great. It's like a whole new life opened up. And then some of those friends left or were taken away. One of my best friends was held back in, in school. And I thought that was God punishing me because I wasn't, I, I treated these, I, these, I thought that my friends had become my idols and that God was taking away my idols. Mm -hmm. I got a whole new set of friends, seventh grade. And then the same thing we moved. And I thought this was God again, punishing me for the idolatry of putting these friends above him. That's how I read it. Hmm. And I was angry. And so for two years, my eighth grade year and my ninth grade year, I mean, I just remember explicitly thinking, well, if that's how God's going to be, then I'm not going to worship him. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do what he wants me to do. And so there was all those uh, temptations and troubles that come along in those years. I, I, w I just sort of embraced it. I was, a, I was living a, a, a sort of as much as you can as a freshman in high school. I was living a godless life mm -hmm. uh, on purpose. Not that I didn't believe in God, but I was angry with God. 
you're going to do this to me, I'll do this to you. I was getting back. Uh, that's pretty deep yeah. wrestling for a young person of that age. I'm, I'm curious about where does, where do you think that came from in a, um, was that, are you wired this way? You know, to be a particularly deep, thoughtful, uh, person was it, was this part of your family life growing up that you're, um, you would have imbibed this, this sort of view of the world from your parents to reflect on things theologically at such an early age. We were in church every Sunday. Um, and in Sunday school, uh, we had a close relationship with the, the, the pastors of our church. Dad was always involved in, um, you know, a church council and stuff like this. Mom was always teaching Sunday school. So we had a, we had a very involved, um, we had a very involved uh, church, spiritual life at church. We didn't have a lot of, we didn't have a lot of home devotions. We had, you know, we would pray at home. Hmm. Um, but it was, but both mom and dad, mom grew up in a Southern Baptist church and had that as her background. And, and so my grandparents on my mom's side were also very involved in the Southern Baptist church. And so, so we're kind of had, had both of those spiritual, the Lutheran spirituality and the Baptist spirituality were kind of flowing together. Hmm. But I don't know. I mean, I think, I, I think about that too. I mean, I look back on that time and, 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 you know, I see my own kids getting this eighth grade and ninth grade. And, and I have to say, there's a lot more going on there than what, what it looks like. Cause I, yeah. but, but, you know, look, there's also, I mean, probably the devil um, was doing his work there as well, because, you know, we're self-justifying machines. And so if anger at God will help us self-justify, then, mm. then that's fine. You know, that's a path that the devil can, can take us down. But it was young. I mean, I was doing. I was. I was. I was getting to this rebellion, and I was getting to particular sins pretty early mm -hmm. in my life. And uh, what that led to was a, a a moment in ninth grade where I was. Uh, my mom was still dragging me to church and youth group, which I hated to go to. But mom was still dragging me over there. At the same time, I hated God. And yet I also, my conscience was starting to get more and more burdened with mm -hmm. some of the choices that I had made. And, uh, and finally, one of the guys, he was a year older than me. He was a sophomore, Chad. He came and he says, hey, Brian, you're sinning and that makes God mad. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And he says, stop. <laughs> that was not much gospel, but mm -hmm. I said, well, okay, I'll stop. And I couldn't stop sinning, I realized that that wasn't up to me. And, and, and I sort of, I just sort of crumbled under the weight of my own incapacity to be in control of my life. I just, it all kind of came crumbling to an end. And, and I remember uh, that same chat, he said, Hey, look, this is why Jesus forgives you. Wow. And so, so then it was probably, it was probably into my freshman year, right coming into that summer that all of a sudden, uh, the Holy Spirit really captivated my mind with the gospel and with a love for the scriptures. It was a 180 degree turn. Mm, mm. So my parents had to go from me worrying, worrying about my sort of just sort of godlessness to worrying about like, I would want to fast for like all these days in a row and stuff like this. They're like, mm -hmm. okay, you got to, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're pendulum yeah. swinging too far. And so but I started mid teens at this age is, I was 14, 15 years old. Yeah. Okay. And so, so here's a, here's another little curious thing. I mean, if this is the kind of, you can push me faster or slower, Joshua, no, if you no, want. No, no, I'm enjoying it. Okay. The, this church, the church had, uh, had hired at that time, David was his name. It still is his name. He, they had hired a, a guy who was on the praise team at Calvary Chapel to come over to this ELCA church. So by this time, the churches ALC and ELC, ALC and LCA had joined to become the ELCA mm -hmm. right about the time we moved. And, uh, and so they hired this, the Calvary Chapel praise band, charismatic guy to come and start a praise band at this liberal ELCA church and also to do the youth ministry. It's the wildest thing. I, I mean, again, I think back on that. It sounds like, like the nexus of the universe, this, this church, everything is happening there. It is. And, and, and you gotta, I just have to think, I mean, I don't know. I got, I got like little glimpses of it now that I was just, I didn't have this sort of perspective to see, but I just wonder now, like, how are the staff meetings? You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. 
you got the you got a charismatic fundamentalist, and you got a and you got a, a, a Robert Schulerite, and you got a a bunch of kind of Midwestern kind of liberal ELCA. I mean, it, it must have been wild, and you had some more kind of, kind of fundamentalist church growth influenced on some of the staff. And if I can I, if I can say though, these are, these are some of the things that I'm really interested in in people's journeys because. Um, listening to you and the, the perspectives that you bring to things, you can see that you have been um, exposed to and even influenced by some of the good parts of, of different traditions and influences along the way, I think. And it's helpful to get this backstory to see, um, you know, where some of those things come from. Well, just so in eighth grade, I was, I was supposed to be learning the catechism. They weren't teaching the catechism. We, our family had never heard of the book of Concord, the distinction between law and gospel completely foreign. They had this, they had this kind of curriculum that some guy in, I don't know, Milwaukee or something. And the thing I remember about it, it was animated and all the people in the pictures had these bags under their eyes. They all looked like they just had woken up to be illustrated. And it was this weird thing through the Bible that was called. I totally disinterested. But then a year and a half later, I clicked in and David, our youth minister, I, I, he did it. He, he noticed it. So, so, he was taking me and a couple of other guys over to the Calvary Chapel service on Sunday night. <laughs> so where, where the real doctrine was being taught. Mm -hmm. And I got plugged right into that stuff. And I was plugged in. I, I mean, I, I remember I, that summer I was painting for a job. I was uh, painting like this staircase outside our neighbor's house. And, and I would just wake up and I would listen to Calvary Chapel Bible studies from the moment I woke up into the moment I went to bed, the only time I would not be listening to Bible studies was when I was in Bible studies. And I, I counted it up one time I, uh, during the week, I was going to something like 72 Bible studies. And I was, I was deep into it. And I was studying all these things. I was really in one of the guys I loved was named Chuck Missler. So he was a kind of Calvary Chapel guy up in Idaho. And he was a real conspiracy theory guy too, huge dispensationalist. And, and so I was, I was eating that up and I was growing more and more concerned for the spiritual state of everyone that was at the ELCA. I mean, I was just shaped up into this evangelicalism and that continued. It continued all through high school. I was teaching the, the Bible study on, in, in high school, um, on campus, you know, I mean, I was, I was always getting in trouble for stuff too. I mean, but I was also teaching the Bible study and I was leading these, I was helping with the youth group and all this sort of stuff. And, um, that's still and in the, what, the ELCA congregation. You're still there all the time doing those things on the side, yeah. getting all this stuff. Yeah. Yep. So theologically, without question, theologically, I was evangelical. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was still involved in the ELCA. Mm -hmm. uh, th during the summers, I was coming down there to visit you guys in Australia, by the way. So when I was 17, really? let's see, 16, 17, and 18, I spent those summers in Australia. Is that right? And then when I was 19, I spent it in Fiji. Okay. But it was always far, far north. We, we'd start in Cairns and we'd end in Broome mm -hmm. um, and go back and forth and spend this a bunch like of time up in the day. Mission tree. camps and those sort of things. Or... Oh, not mission. It was a, it was a secular uh, company. Uh, Rustic Pathways was the name. It just did student adventure travel. It's oh. huge now. They do tons of trips now, but I was right there at the beginning of it. And there was just one trip a summer. We, we did that. So, so that was wild. Well, we'll have to get you back one day. I, I don't know. I hope so. Um, but then, you know, when I went to college, I was 17, 18 years old. And I remember I moved up to Colorado and I went and visited the ELCA campus ministry. And, and I thought I, I got to be done with these guys. I'm, I mean, I'm, I've been done with them for a long time. I just got to be done with them because they don't believe anything. They don't believe the Bible. Who knows what they believe? I believe the Bible's true. And so I got hooked into, we had a navigator's Bible study in our dorm room. I was at campus crusade events twice, three times a week. I was involved in intervarsity. And uh, we went to this charismatic evangelical church there. And I did that for a year, you know, when I was in Colorado. And then a, a very kind of pivotal thing happened. So I went back, I moved back home um, uh, for a year. And uh, I was in, let's see, that year I must have been in Fiji. I can't, how this went. I went to school for a, a year, went to Fiji. I dropped out of school and I went, I backpacked around Israel. Mm -hmm. 
but I, I but I remember come I so I came back home and all my friends from Calvary Chapel were at this mega Baptist church and I got involved in the campus ministry there and I was leading a Bible study at the campus ministry I was doing like four-part Bible studies on why we should obey the speed limit it was such pietist kind of stuff you know <laughs> and but I was also I I was visiting the youth group and I was helping out with the youth group over at the ELCA church. By this time, a name that you might recognize as some of our listeners might recognize, Brian Ketchelmeyer, who's a pastor and just a fantastic friend, pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. He had become the youth minister at this ELCA church. Now, how he got there is a fascinating story, but he was Lutheran. He was kind of liberal. He was Lutheran. And so he was there with the youth and I was helping him out. And I was also helping out this Baptist church and both churches asked me to sort of be official on staff. Hmm. Brian asked me if I could be an official youth volunteer to help him out. And the Baptist church wanted to hire me to be on the campus ministry staff. They said, Hey, come and work for us for a year and then you'll be ordained. Which I thought hmm. was kind of was wild. And so I had these sort of offers to go to the ELCA church or to the Baptist church and I decided, it's so arrogant. This is so, I mean, I'm, I, I, there's so many things in this story that I'm embarrassed about. Um, so you, you're going to have to be like Noah's sons, you know, and walk in backwards and cover my shame. But <laughs> here's, one of the, here's one of the moments. I decided that the ELCA church needed me more than the Baptist church because mm-hmm. the Baptist church believed in Jesus and the ELCA church, who knows? They didn't believe anything. So I, so I sort of was, all right, I'll help here with the ELCA church. And I was involved over at the other place. But so that got me in a perpetual theological conversation with Brian Ketchelmeyer. Every week, every day almost, we would just argue about the scriptures. And we'd argue about free, the role of the will in salvation. We would argue about losing your salvation. We would argue about what is salvation and the role of works. We would argue about the sacraments, the church, forgiveness of sins and baptism, the absolution. We would constantly be arguing and arguing and arguing. Hmm. So here I was a kind of a conservative evangelical guy, and here he is sort of a liberal Lutheran guy. And we just, he, you know, he became more and more conservative and I became more and more Lutheran. And we just were kind of, it was hard. I mean, he loved it because he loves to argue no matter what. I don't know if I loved it, but it was good. The Lord used it. So this is all happening when I was 18, 19. Wow. I dropped out of college, went and backpacked around Israel. This is amazing. I went and backpacked around Israel, and I, and I went to see Bible prophecy because I was such a hardcore dispensationalist mm-hmm. uh, that I thought I'll go over and watch the end of the world happen. You know, maybe I thought maybe how cool would it be to be raptured from Jerusalem? <laughs> So I was supposed to backpack around Israel by myself for, for three months. It ended up being about six weeks, and I came back early because Carrie was going to stop dating me if I didn't come back. <laughs> I was going to ask, that's a different, and, um, that's a I, noticed, I noticed you, you talked about we at one stage, so you've met your future wife some, somewhere in amongst all this. She was leading the praise band at the, at the Baptist church. Okay. The the so she would play the keyboard and lead the praise songs and I would teach the Bible studies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so at some point we caught each other's eye in there and we started, we started talking. And then I said, Oh, you're such a pietist. So, uh, uh, which was, I mean, maybe that's good. Every young man dating should be more of a pietist, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But uh, I said, we I, she said, you know what? I, I, one day we're sitting there. I said, I kind of like you. And she said, I kind of like you too. And I said, so I'm leaving for Fiji tomorrow. I don't think we should write or talk or do anything. We should just write letters and pray. Okay. Or do I think we just, I said, I think I said, let's just pray about it. Okay. So I left for three months and went and lived in the highlands in Fiji. And I got back and we started just kind of officially dating for like a month and a half. And then I said, well, I'm going to go to Israel for three months now. I'm going to drop out of college and uh, let's just write letters. So I, we were writing letters back and forth, which was cool, I guess. No one does that anymore, but mm. she would send letters to the post office in Jerusalem. So like every three days I'd walk over to the post office to see if there's any letters for me, which was kind of cool. A, a, nice, some, a nice mix between traditional romance and pietism, I'd say. Very yeah, nice. yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so at some point though, I decided to call her and I was, 
I think I must have woken her up in the middle of the night or something. And I was, I was in, um, I was in Caesarea mm -hmm. or somewhere like that, right on the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and she said, Brian, if, if you're going to be all over the world, because I was going to come back and start working for this adventure company and they were going to send me to Africa for, to open up new markets and stuff. And she said, if you're going to be all over the world, I don't see what the point of us dating is. And so like a week later, I was back in town <laughs> and a week after that we were engaged. Nice. But I still remember that night because I, I, I hung up the phone and I decided I'm going to marry that girl. Mm -hmm. And I had, and suddenly, you know, I was trying to live on like, three dollars a day because i had no money and i was back i mean i was sleeping outside under date trees and and mm -hmm. eating like a piece of bread for every and i saw so all of a sudden i was rich and so i bought myself a whole pizza a beer and a cup of coffee and i sat there thinking about how i was going to go home and marry carrie it was mm -hmm. the most wonderful meal i've ever eaten uh it was just fantastic so so then got back and and then and then, and then Carrie and I started to explore all these things together. So yeah. at the LCA, talking with Ketchelmeyer, uh, Carrie's involved in it. We start visiting all these different churches because we, we, we knew that the liberal church was not for us because they didn't believe the Bible. We started, we, we knew that the that Calvary Chapel was not for us because they didn't have the body and the blood. This is what you, they, they, they do this funny thing where they say, you got to take the Bible literally. And mm -hmm. then Jesus says, this is my body. And they say, except for that part right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Oh, also that part there too. And whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. And don't take that literally either. All the other parts take literally, mm -hmm. but not that part. And it's like, wait a minute. And, and so, so you're, were you're just curious about that. Were your sacramental convictions still there with you right through that evangelical stage? Mm -hmm. Or did they sort of come back oh, somehow? Oh, no, they came back. Right. So one of the, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, this is so shameful to me still. I mean, I know the Lord has forgiven my sins on this, but you know, when you're, when the devil stirs up your conscience, this is one of the things I remember at the ELCA church, we did this thing where it was Romans and Christians, I think was the game that it was where it was like a, a game of tag where like half the people are Roman soldiers and half are Christian martyrs. And you all end up in the basement of the church after this game. And, and we had the Lord's supper. Hmm. And the pastor was down there and he did the words of institution and gave us the Lord's Supper. And I remember I had talked to this pastor about how, how obvious it was that it's not the body and the blood. And he said, no, no, Brian, you're, you're confused about that. It's the body and the blood. I mean, I don't think he actually said it that clearly, but mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, I remember after the game was over, uh, and the kids had left, I went up to the pastor there at the altar and I grabbed the chalice and I swirled it around like it was a glass of wine and I just started sipping on it. To, it just right there to say, look, it's just wine. Wow. It's, not the, it's nothing more than wine, just wine. And I, and I, that was my, I, was a, I had that profound conviction. Yeah. Yeah. Same with baptism. In fact, in fact, I, I had a friend of mine, Frank, we are on the football team together, and, and he grew up, I, it must have been Presbyterian or a, one of those traditional churches that would baptize babies. But we we're kind of exploring our evangelical doctrine together. So this was back in high school. Mm. And I told him, ba baby baptism doesn't count. And he, I, and he says, so, what, so I should be baptized? He said, who can baptize? I said, anybody can baptize. So I said, I'll baptize you. So I went in, we were in the locker room and I, I baptized, Fra I don't know why I didn't believe in immersion. I baptized Frank in the sink in the, in the locker room. Mm -hmm. And then Frank said to me, here's, I mean, look at all the shame you got me confessing. Here's a, Frank said to me, uh, well, are you going to be rebaptized? And I said, I think, I, I think there's better ways for me to show my faith than baptism. In other words, how, can you imagine the arrogance? I thought that baptism was the outward confession of an inward faith, mm -hmm. but I thought that I could, like at the Quakers, I guess, I thought, well, I can come up with an outward confession of my faith better than what the Lord invented. Mm -hmm. Boy, oh boy. What kind of, ugh, what proud. Well, we, we appreciate your honesty, Pastor Wolf Mueller, and sharing it. It really is quite, quite incredible, those sorts of um, things that we... Um, 
look back on and, and you know, see some of the hubris of our um, adolescent, you know, spiritual years, I guess. But um, I'm, I'm, and I'm sensing that, you know, so you're, you're wrestling now with, um, with the sacraments at this stage and with your, your <laughs> wife or your future wife. I can't remember at that stage. And um, I'm curious too, I can, I can hear us edging closer towards where you've sort of the church body in which you've ended up, but how did that go together with a sense of call to pastoral ministry? Was that, was that part of that journey in there or did that come later? Yeah, no, it's so probably like even starting in high school, people would say, um, hey, Brian, you ought to think about being a pastor. Mm-hmm. You're not much good for much else, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, and into co- but I went and I was studying engineering when I went to college. I mean, I was very good at math stuff mm-hmm. and not, not so much at Numbers were easier than letters for me. That's probably the easiest way to say that. And so I was doing mechanical engineering at school, and I figured I'd do that. And I didn't want the pastors that I knew, that I, the pastors that I respected were these kind of evangelical celebrity pastors. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that idea. It, it seemed to me like they were insulated and they weren't actually dealing with, they, like they were just dealing with people, with Christian people. Mm-hmm. And I always thought of myself as more like, a, I want to be on the front lines of evangelism. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be with the unbeliever. I don't want to be surrounded by Christians all the time. So I want to be out there mixing it up. So I never thought I was, there was always the, I was always being thought of for me that I ought to be a pastor, but mm-hmm. it never occurred to me. Um, but then, I mean, through a, a kind of a handful of difficult things, including that sort of odyssey when I was backpacking around Israel and some pretty lonely times when I was working in Fiji, the, the Lord sort of reshaped me. Hmm. And, and, it, and, it, and, and there was one particular night I remember when I was, uh, this must have been, uh, when was it? Probably the, my fourth semester at college. I was doing some physics, mag- I remember it was a magnetics problem. And it was in the middle of the night. It was like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. And I was trying to finish my homework. And I had made a vow when I was in high school that I wouldn't go a day without reading the Lord's Word. So, I mean, sometimes I would like open a Bible and read like one word and mm-hmm. go to sleep. But, mm-hmm. but I was, I remember looking there in my Bible was kind of next to, I was on my desk sitting there. And, and I sort of looked longingly over at the Bible because I was using it as the reward for finishing my homework. Mm-hmm. So finish your homework, you can do your devotions. Finish your homework, you can read the Bible. So I was using that as my reward there. And it, it dawned on me that some people have reading the Bible as their homework. <laughs> and, and like all of a sudden, it's like, what? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then right after that, also that some people have reading the Bible as their job. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, maybe I'm maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Now, I, I don't know if I thought about being a pastor. I just thought about studying the Bible. I just loved to study the Bible and I wanted to keep doing it and I wanted to give attention to it. And so the next day I went in and I told the guys, Hey, I'm going to change my major. They said, Oh, no problems. You know what you want to do? Civil engineering. You want to do electrical engineering. You want to, what kind of engineering do you want to do? And I said, literature, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a form to change from mechanical engineering to lit. But it, right in there, I, I, I sort of, I started heading that way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and so there was all these things were sort of mixing up at the same time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I never thought about being married till I met Carrie. And, and so yeah. like the idea of being married, of having a family, of settling down, of having, I mean, I just thought of myself, I was just going to be a, like, aha swearus the wandering evangelist you know i was just going to be wherever the wind sort of blew me i would i would be i would be going and so when my mind had to kind of imagine something more permanent then um then becoming a pastor started to seem like something available to me but i'll tell you when it really clicked we started visiting this grace lutheran church missouri synod lutheran church in albuquerque new mexico Uh, randy golter was the pastor and we're going through his catechism class, and uh, and we invited a friend to come with us to church one day. And the next Monday, he called me up and he said, "Hey, Brian, what did Leslie think about church?" Mm-hmm. And I thought, 
you, first of all, you know my name. That's amazing to me. <laughs> Second of all, you're concerned not only about me, but about my friend and about mm -hmm. this, that, like that idea that a pastor could, could be there and be a pastor. I'd never really seen it before. Hmm. And so I, I, as soon as I hung up, I thought I could do that. I could, I could be a pastor that actually interacts with people. Mm -hmm. And so, so then that, that's when that I, I, whole idea really sort of the horizons opened up in, in front of me to, to go to seminary. So I called up the seminary and I said, Hey, uh, Hey, what do you, what do you got to do to get into the seminary? Like, well, you got to have an undergrad degree. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know, but you got to be like history or German or like Lutheran. You know, I got to get like a, a bachelor's degree in Luther. Mm -hmm. Like, no, any degree. I said, any degree? That doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> it never made sense to me. Like, like you're applying to med school and they're like, oh, you got a philosophy? No problem. Come and be a doctor. I was like, didn't mm -hmm. have any? No, any degree. Okay. So then I went in to the, to the school and I said, what's the quickest way to get a degree? And they gave me a couple of different options. This is kind of funny. And they're like, well, and, and I says, well, you got any other? Because I had dropped out and I had, mm -hmm. I had a couple of credits in transfer and it was going to take another year and stuff like that. I was like, come on, I, there's got to be another way. And like, well, there's a thing called university studies. I said, what's that? And they said, well, it basically means you take whatever classes you want and then you graduate. And I said, oh, sign me up. So I, so my undergrad is university studies. It's so okay. great. It's so, it's so ridiculous. It's, it's an, it was just a, how can I get also, we were waiting till I got my degree to get married too, so that was mm -hmm. extra motivated. But so I was able to finish four years after I started, even though I dropped out and and all mm -hmm. this sort of stuff. And uh, and then we worked for a couple of years. Hannah was born uh, before we went off to the seminary. So I graduated from college to 1999, and and then went to the seminary in 2001. Mm. And so at that stage, when you were you were still at the um the ELCA congregation arguing with Pastor Ketchelmeyer about all sorts of things, you know, coming together in your um, Lutheran convictions. And that, I think you said you started to visit different churches oh. and eventually ended up at this, this catechism class in a Missouri Synod church. So, yeah. Um, and was that um, the last place we thought we'd be. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, and that was, um, and that's, that's where you serve as a pastor to this day. So you, the, your theological journey sort of, that's, that's where it, um, that's where you've found yourself fitting most comfortably. Carrie, uh, she's funny when she tells the story, she says, we sat in the catechism class like this, mm -hmm. you know, you Lutheran, you better catch brought us, dragged us over there. I'm like, we're done with the Lutherans, man. Mm. They don't believe the Bible. He's like, these kind these are, these guys are different. So we started going through the catechism. The pastor taught us the distinction between law and gospel, which we had never heard before. Mm -hmm. And that description of law and gospel in the formula of Concord that says it's an especially brilliant light, that just happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, once he explained it, it's like, oh, 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 the whole scripture just started to open up. Mm -hmm. And we would ask questions, and Pastor Golter would answer them from the Bible. He, a lot of times he would take my Bible from me and open it and show it to me in my own Bible. Wow. Which I thought was good because otherwise I think mm -hmm. I was like, what kind of weird Lutheran Bible are you tricking me with? You know, you know, mm -hmm. and he showed us straight from the scriptures. Now there were some hard parts of this. I mean, some really tough doctrines for us to get our head around. Closed communion was mm -hmm. tough. The fact that Lutherans don't believe in the rapture, that was tough. So there was some hard things. I'm not saying it was easy, but every time it came back to the scriptures, it's just, here's what the Bible says. And that's what we were looking for. So, I mean, the Lutheran church is the church that teaches what the Bible teaches. That's, it's kind of, it sounds obnoxious to say it that way, but it better be that way. Otherwise, what are we doing? <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And so that, that proved itself to be true. We were, we visited, um, I mean, now granted, we didn't, we didn't take class. We didn't do like RIC or do any classes with other, but we go, we, what we did was we would go and visit the churches and we would grab their doctrine statements. And then we would make an appointment with the pastors who would meet with us. Mm -hmm. We go and we'd study the doctrine statements. It was just like a, it was a whole, every day was like a field trip in comparative symbolics. <laughs> and we'd go and sit with the pastors and ask them questions about stuff and wait for them to open the Bible. And, uh, and so through that whole thing, we, we ended up coming back. Ugh, really, I mean, I've got to tell you, it was against our will. 
mm -hmm. to the Missouri Synod Church, but finally we were convinced. And so we finished that class, but it took us another three or four months to get our heads around closed communion. I could just could not get past that. I mean, we were so individualistic in our faith that the idea that what I would believe would matter to anybody else was just beyond me. I, co I couldn't get it. So this is that was tough. And this is obviously still a, um, is a difficulty for many people. So was there something in particular that you look back on that was the breakthrough on that particular one for you? Well, I thought I had the pastor when I said, um, when I said, hey, Judas took communion. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, yeah, because the pastor doesn't judge the heart. He judges the confession. And outwardly, Judas said that he was a Christian, even though inwardly he was a devil. And so I, I realized, oh, wait a minute. And he started to show some of these verses about having the unity of, of doctrine and how much these mattered. So especially Acts chapter 2, uh, two is it Acts 248? This is COVID brains causing me to forget, where it says they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread and the apostles' two, doctrine. 242, I reckon, yeah. 242, yeah. And so... Um, the, this, the idea of, of the fellowship of the apostles' doctrine was really uh, helpful for that, hmm. too. Hmm. Um, and since being a pastor, um, Pastor Wolfmuller, what, um, what have been the highs and lows of ministry for you, looking back over those years? Oh, boy. You know, the Lord uses, the Lord uses everything to bless. So there's, there's been hard times, but I wouldn't... Um, I wouldn't have given those up. Um, yeah, and the Lord is, you know, the Lord has, I just wonder sometimes if, if my faith must be, must be so weak that the Lord gives me so many blessings because he knows I can't handle much more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so the Lord has dealt really gently with me through, through my whole ministry. Um, you know, baptizing my two youngest boys mm -hmm. is an incredible gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to baptize and, and then confirm. Uh, I had a long pastorate in Colorado. that So there's a couple people I got to baptize and confirm. And that was really wonderful to see them mature in the faith. One of my um, parishioners here just recently told me that um, that that's their ideal ministry or really their threshold for a ministry is that a pastor should confirm the first child he's baptized in a congregation. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> so that happened. Although... Uh, I had an associate pastor, Flammy, was doing the catechesis, catechesis for that. And so I had to sneak in there, you know. To... <laughs> but uh, um, I, I, and I've also been able to, uh, you know, one of the things, Josh, was very interesting to me is I used to really, I mean, I still do, I suppose. I, the idea, idea of traveling, I was able to travel to a bunch of places, even as a young man. And then I figured that would be my life. I mean, I, I just wanted to travel. Hmm. And one of the things that, when I thought about going into the ministry and the Lutheran ministry, I figured I'd be in some small town in the Midwest and I would just be locked in, you know, what, what pastor travels all over the world. And so, so there was this, it was almost like a, I, I was almost, it's not a vision, but it was almost as if the Lord was saying, you, are you going to hand that over to me? Mm -hmm. Are you going to, are you going to hold on to your travel or are you going to, for the sake of the office, are you willing to give that up? And I, I remember very distinctly saying, Lord, if, I'm, I, I want to be a pastor. I'm content if that means I never, if I never need a passport again, mm -hmm. I'm content. And so I sort of offered that up. And then, and then the Lord has in some ways been really kind to give, almost surprised me with a number of opportunities to travel more than I ever would have imagined. Mm. And in those travels to be able to meet people who have, um, you know, benefited from some of the, the work that I, I've been able to do and some of the stuff I've been able to put out there. Mm. That's incredible to me. Mm. Just utterly incredible. And uh, I was in Gothenburg, Sweden. When was that? Last summer? For the Corpus Christi. They do this young adult Lutheran gathering for all of Europe. And I got to go and speak to the kids there. It's like 250 Lutherans aged like 18 to 30 from I think like 19 different countries. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like the Grinch at the end of the, you know, the Grinch thing where his heart goes, boop, 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 it's three sizes too big. That's how my heart was at that. It was like, uh, it was kind of overwhelming to mm -hmm. see the future of the church and the joy they had in the Lord's doctrine. And 
that, that was a that, that was a highlight for for me uh for sure mm. the, and, and i love i mean the thing i love most about being a pastor is being able to see the look on people's faces when the when those connections are made from one thing to another in the scriptures you know mm. when when the gospel flashes clean or when the connection between what you know the the, the promises and the fulfillments or whatever, when those, when those sparks are flying and people are that the, the Holy spirit is enlightening people mm-hmm. it, with the word. I, I love that. So my favorite thing is, is to teach and to, and then just to, you just to watch the people's faces as the Holy spirit is, is revealing things to them. That's, I mean, that's my constant delight. I can resonate with that very strongly. And uh, it is just a wonderful thing to, have a front seat to, to God's work in that sense. Um, Pastor Wolfmuller, you've been uh, generous with your time today and you've been generous too in how open you've been in sharing um, some of the, um, the ups and downs of your Christian journey. Just as we start to draw it to a close, is there any other um, things you look back on that you see as um, regrets or um, you, you've mentioned some um, interesting parts of that already, but also, what, what would you say you're most thankful for in your um, Christian journey thus far? Well, I, I'm just, I, I'm constantly, I constantly thank the Lord that he has given me faith and a love for his word and an opportunity to, to share it. I mean, just the, the, to have the office has been, is an incredible gift. And I, and I don't deserve it. Nobody does. I think the Lord has arranged the pastoral office to make sure that everybody is bad at it. <laughs> There's only one good pastor mm-hmm. and he sits at the father's right hand. Every other pastor is bad, at least at some part of it. I mean, you can't be good at everything. Mm-hmm. And so to, to be mercifully in the office um, and I'm, I'm kind of doubly grateful for that because I thought this summer that it was gone. I that was, it was taken away from me. I was just mm-hmm. being uh, incapacitated. And so the Lord stood me back up, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, supremely grateful. Mm-hmm. Of course, my own, you know, with my regrets, there's. It depends on the day, of, kind of the which direction my own guilt and shame kind of strikes me from. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's from, I mean, sometimes it's from my own laziness, and sometimes it's from my busyness and it's overwork, and and and, you know, it's kind of different directions. But one of the things, Joshua, that was really and I don't know even how to quite explain this, but when I was sick this summer, I, one of the things that I always wrestle with, so, and you, and you no doubt have this too, so whenever you're doing something outside the parish, like this kind of conversation is sort of a avocational kind of thing. And I, I had a lot of avocational things going on. And you're always wondering, is it good? Is it right? Am I taking away from what belongs to the parish or what belongs to the family to do this sort of thing? And and some guys will say, look, there's no place for it. There's no place for pastors being involved in new media at all. Anything outside the parish is illegitimate. Mm-hmm. And I like a lot of those guys that say it. Uh, so I want to trust them. So I'm always wrestling with that. And, um, and you also wrestle with your own motivation for it. Mm-hmm. Am I doing this? So, hey, look, look at what a great guy Wolf Mueller is or whatever. And so when I was sick and it looked like all that was gone and I put everything was on hold and it was almost like the Lord came to me with a, 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 a sort of an echo of his word to say, hey, all, all of that stuff uh, I use to bless. And uh, if there's any guilt, it's forgiven. Mm-hmm. And I grab a hold of it and I use it for my own, for my name. And so, so the, it's almost like it, it was in, in some ways it was like what Luther says about how the pastor should never pray the Lord's prayer after his sermon. <laughs> In other words, before you preach, you better pray, forgive me mm-hmm. for my neglect, for preparation and, and all this sort of stuff. But when the sermon's out there, when you've let it fly, then don't, you don't, that, the Lord takes it and uses it. Mm. And so, so don't ask for forgiveness. So it was almost like that kind of moment this summer, like all the other stuff, don't ask for forgiveness. Let it fly. I'll use it. And so that's been a great comfort to me. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. I, no, I, I wish I knew a better way to explain it. But. No, no, it does. Absolutely. And um, even though you've had a heck of a year, we're, um, we're very thankful for the way in which the Lord continues to, to bless you and bless others through you and uh, keep up the good work. And um, 
If you've got just two more minutes, we'll do a, a quick lightning round with Pastor Wolf Mueller as well, if you're up for it. Yep. 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 Okay. If you were an animal, Pastor Wolf Mueller, what would you be and why? A monkey. Uh, because they can uh, swing from branch to branch. That always appealed to me. Monkey Wolf Mueller. If you have to sing karaoke, what song do you pick? Tutti Frutti, Oh Rudy, every time. I didn't tell you about this bit, but now you have to sing it. And what was the worst job you ever had? Ooh, I've had good jobs. Hmm. Um, my first job, okay, I remember this. My first job, I worked at Dion's Pizza, which was glorious. I loved it. But when I've just, like the third day on the job, uh, the manager came and told me, I need you to clean out beneath the soda machine. And I went, I opened it, and it was just this two, I mean, like a, a inch of mold over the whole thing, over these two trays spread out there. Ah, I almost lost my lunch. Mm -hmm. And she came, and, then, but I, and I thought, oh, this is going to be, I'm going to now win some award for the worst job ever. But then the <laughs> manager saw it. This was really something. The manager saw how bad it was and said, never mind, I've got it. I'll do it. Nice. That was actually pretty good. So that was almost the worst job that I had. But. Mm, that was a good sermon illustration in that somewhere too, I think. What's a book, what's a book we should all read that we probably haven't? Mm. Read or, wow, well, you want to, so theologically, everybody should have The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah by Alfred Edersheim. Okay. And should use it devotionally. That's such, do you have that one? I don't think so. Oh, it's glorious. You can find it online for free. It was written in 1899, 1901 or something. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful book. Uh, you can smell the text when you're there. It's my favorite. I give it away all the time. Excellent. Uh, we'll, we'll look that I one up. You can and... read it through front to back. But okay. the other one that I end up recommending all the time is this uh, Getting Things Done by David Allen. Mm -hmm. So when people ask me the question, how do you get things done? I say, I read the book Getting Things Done by David Allen. Mm -hmm. he, I think he's a Buddhist. It's not theological, but it's a nice text. Take wisdom where you can get it, hey? Mm. Um, and what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? My dad always told me, he's a, he's a, my dad had two pieces of advice. He said, learn from everyone, think for yourself, and never sit with your back to the door in gun ranges and Mexican food restaurants. I don't know why, but... <laughs> That may take a bit of cultural translation for us here in Australia, but we'll work on that one. How about this? Solomon, of course, has the best advice where he says that the wise man takes rebuke. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty good because we always think that to be wise means to be right. Mm -hmm. But if you're right, then there's nothing to rebuke. Mm -hmm. So to be wise is to be good at being wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that takes the pressure off. Mm -hmm. Last one, Pastor Wolfmuller. If you could go back in time, uh, what would you tell your adolescent self? Read the Book of Concord. <laughs> <laughs> How much trouble would that have saved me? Oh, glorious! Just start with the large catechism. Yeah, but then we wouldn't have we wouldn't have uh, been able to share in your wonderful journey with all of its twists and turns. Uh, finally arriving at the Book of Concord, so we're thankful Fair for enough. that as well. Fair enough. Um, thank you very much again, Pastor Wolf Mueller, for being with us um, on Kairos today and for um, your ongoing work that reaches all the way uh, down under even. And uh, God bless you and your family and your congregation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is great fun. Yeah, it was indeed. God bless you. See you later.